1: you return that I might live in my
2: father he is one of our greatest concerns the spirit possessing the spirit should be the preservation of the lines of communication between our soul and the spirit because with him we succeed alone we have fail he keeps us from falling and isn't that exactly what it suggests there in verse 16 to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner
0: man are you only filled with the spirit if you can speak in tongues or perform healing miracles in today's message with pastor mike he addresses this question to be filled with the spirit means your soul is connected with the trinity you have access to the power to say no to fleshly desires. You are prompted and lead by Him to share of His kingdom. You are actively growing and producing the fruits of the Spirit. Are these items present in your life? If not, you'll learn of how to move in the right direction. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Ephesians chapter 3 as he continues his message, I Bow My Knee.
1: I Said you return that I might live in my father's house.
2: Now, here particularly. Paul's concern is that we lay hold of the vast wealth of God's love. Notice there in verse 19, as he petitions the Lord, he says, to know the love of Christ. And by the way, that would be a good prayer to pray. If Just in case you're wondering what I should be praying for, how about making that one of your petitions, one of your regular petitions, that you might experience the love of Christ. Well, that's a great prayer to, to pray, right? And notice here, Uh, Paul wanted the believers to live in four dimensions of that love. Notice there in verse 18. That's how great God's love is. Notice the four dimensions that he mentions. The width, the depth, the length, the height. Oh, how great the love of God is. I don't know if this is going to be a good illustration or not, but I always use it. I've gotten a lot of miles out of it. You know, when we finally arrive at our destination in heaven, and uh, we're finally with the Lord, right? And uh, what are we going to be doing for all of eternity? Well, I think it's going to take an entire eternity to really discover the depth, the width of the love of God. I think we're going to receive one revelation after another, after another, after another, and at least in part, that's what we're going to be doing for all of eternity. Like, for example, we're going to be in heaven, and uh, you know, God's going to pour out a blessing upon us. And then at that moment when we receive the blessing, we're going to say, oh, now I understand what the love of God really looks like. And even before we can utter that sentence, he's going to pour out another blessing. And then in response, we're going to say, oh, now I understand how great the love of God. And before I can get that sentence out, he's going to pour out another one. And we're going to be doing that for all of eternity. But that's exactly what it's going to take, because that's how great the love of God is. Amen? Amen. And so we can get a kind of a glimpse and a taste of that right now while we're here upon the earth. But, the, you know, but look, go back to our text here. There's, there's so, in the construct of, the, of this phrase, of this verse, there's sort of a paradox here, because Paul wants us to know personally the love of Christ, but then he goes on to say, which passes understanding or pass knowledge. So what's that all about? How is that even possible there in verse 19? Well, listen, don't be confused. Paul is just saying that these four dimensions of God's love are so great that they cannot be measured. You know, let me paraphrase this for you. Maybe it'll make more sense. Here's the paraphrase. We are so rich in Christ that our riches cannot be calculated. Okay? I think that's a pretty good paraphrased explanation of that text of Scripture. You know, the love of Jesus, which passes understanding, sort of parallels. This is not the first time that we've been introduced to this sort of like, you know, oxymoron, if you will, because the love of Jesus, which passes understanding, parallels the unsearchable riches of Christ that's mentioned there in verse 8 of the same chapter. Notice there in chapter 3 in verse 8 sort of along the same lines. But listen, gang, if we pray for spiritual strength, that is power, and we pray for and earnestly pursue spiritual death, then we will be able to apprehend, that is get our hands upon, all the resources of God's love and grace. And folks, we get a hold of all of God's grace and resources day by day by day. We don't get it all at once. But we don't don't need it all at once. We need it day by day, because every day presents a new challenge. There's a new obstacle to overcome. So we receive it today, we use it, and then tomorrow presents another situation, and then we go back in front of the throne of grace, right? And we go boldly, asking the Lord, appealing to him, and guess what? He pours out more grace. Right? It's a day-by-day-by-day by day by day kind of an experience. right? And what's the result of all of this? Well, that then brings us to Paul's fourth petition. And, you know, I mentioned this last time together. All of these petitions lead to the next one. We shouldn't isolate any of these petitions. We see We shouldn't see them as being isolated from one another. Each one is an integral part of another. So with that said... What's the result of all of this, all of these three petitions? Well, it brings us to Paul's fourth petition, which is, notice there, fullness, fullness. Notice, God wants us to experience his fullness. He doesn't want us to just experience a trickling of what he's prepared for his kids. He wants us to experience the fullness that we can acquire in Christ. Notice in verse 19, the latter part of verse 19, he says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, the means of our fullness is the Holy Spirit. In chapter 5 and verse 18, and we'll get to this, I'm really excited when we move into chapters 5 and 6, because it's in chapters 5 and 6 where we really talk about the ministry and the operation of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 6 is probably the greatest chapter in all of the Bible that addresses itself to the subject of spiritual warfare. But nevertheless, in chapter 5, in verse 18, we are instructed and exhorted to be filled with the Spirit. Now, what does that mean, to be filled with the Spirit? We hear that phrase often and frequently used within the church. What does that mean, to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Does that mean we speak uncontrollably in tongues? Does it mean that we swing on chandeliers? You know, I believe that we are a Pentecostal church as is the design of the first Pentecostal church in the book of Acts and the things that they gave themselves to. Having all things in common, in prayer, we got that covered. In the study and the teaching of the word of God, we got that covered, right? And providing for each other's needs. In the breaking of bread, in the receiving of communion. So that was the first Pentecostal church. I mean, how far we are we moved from anything that's even reminiscent of what a true Pentecostal church looks like. We exercise and and encourage the use of the Holy Spirit, uh, of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but in the correct use of them, right? So anyway, we're talking about the fullness, and there we are exhorted to be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, what's involved with that? What does that look like? Well, to be filled with the Spirit of God literally means to be led by the Spirit of God. It means to be controlled by the Spirit of God. It means to be empowered by the Spirit of God. And again, as we move into chapter 5, we're going to get into all of those in great length and detail. Now, with that said, let's go back to the petition. How full can we be? That's the question. How full can we actually be? Well, notice here, according to the text, the measure of our fullness... Is Christ that is God himself now jump ahead to chapter 4 in verse 13 for a moment in chapter 4 and verse 13 it says to we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man by the way when is that going to happen huh when we see Christ when he comes back for his church when we go through the rapture of the church Because the Bible tells us that when we see him, we shall be as he is and not before. So right now, we're going through this process. We're all under construction, as I often refer to it as. Remember the sign around our neck, under construction. But there's going to come a day where we're going to be changed into the very image of God's Son, Jesus Christ. We're going to be like him. The Bible tells us that when we see him, we shall be as he is. But anyway... Notice what it says there in verse 13. To we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to the perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Folks, let me tell you something. That's full. That's full, right? So here's the question then. How full are you? All right, let's pause for a moment and I want you to just think about that. Just ponder that question. How full are you? You know, and what's the measuring stick? You know, how do you determine how full you actually are? Listen, it is terribly wrong when we use the wrong measurements in examining our own spiritual lives. Where are we in our relationship with the Lord, spiritually speaking? How do we determine that? Well, for some of us, we play the comparison game, and we choose to look at the weakest Christian Amongst us, or the youngest Christian, or someone who just gave their life to Christ, and then we say, you know, I know I'm bad, but at least I'm not as bad as he is or she is, right? That's not the measurement. That's not the way that we measure ourselves, right? That's playing the comparison game, or even our measuring ourselves up to the senior pastor of the church. God forbid, don't do that. Okay, listen, I'm just as much under construction as any of you. And I haven't arrived. I haven't gotten any of this stuff wired. God's still working in my life. You know, I'm still on the wheel. Uh, Jesus is the master potter. I'm the clay. You know, he's still molding and shaping me. And, uh, you know, he's still doing that work in my life as, as he is in, in all of your lives as well, right? Paul tells us that the measuring stick... Is Jesus and when we have reached his fullness then we have reached the limit and so listen gang we need to get hold of all of God's resources by faith receive them and enjoy them and you know the wonderful thing about this is that it's available to all of us it doesn't matter where you are on uh, the Christian rung of authority or totem pole if you will whatever You can be a new Christian and get a hold of all of the grace, all of the strength, just as much as the senior pastor of the church can. It's just there for the taking, gang. We need to understand that. We need to realize that. All of these resources, how do we get a hold of them? By faith. We receive them and enjoy them. Now, after contemplating such a marvelous experience, it is no wonder Paul burst forth in a doxology which is a fitting benediction to such a prayer. You know what I'm talking about when I use the word doxology or a benediction? You know, like like out of left field, God just blesses you. You know, something that you weren't expecting, right? And in one form or another, just think about in your own experience. You fill in the blank. And how did you respond? You weren't expecting it, and God just blessed your socks off. And you're like, you can't even contain yourself. You might be walking down the street. People might think you're crazy. And all of a sudden, you just burst out and, oh, praise you, Lord! And you know, and then you just realize what you did, and it's like, oh, you know, and then you continue walking down the street, right? Paul you know, bursts out in this doxology, this benediction that's recorded for us there in verse 20. Let's read it. Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Now, underline that phrase, if you will, or write it down if you don't want to mark up your Bible, above all we ask. Okay, so then, what can we expect to receive? Well, how about this? Think about this far above power, power that enables us to walk in victory, far above quality of relationship. Think about these four petitions that is, that lends itself to our experiencing a deep fellowship and communion with God. Far above apprehension, therefore we are able to comprehend and know the love of God. And then lastly, far above fullness, that enables us to get a hold of and begin to use the resources that God has made available to his children. You see, I'm being energized by God for spiritual living. But listen, just a a warning, be careful not to cut yourself off from the source of power. Remember, we should never forget, who is the Holy Spirit, by the way? Just another brief, quick exhortation. You know, we should never forget that when we surrendered to Christ, we became, as I've already mentioned, a temple within which the Holy Spirit came to reside and dwell. He is the divine communicator through whom God imparts wisdom, guidance, and strength. He is the equivalent of the unseen captain who accompanied Joshua on his travels and assisted in every conflict when they crossed over to Jordan and began to conquer the land of Canaan. He is one of our greatest concerns, the Spirit. Possessing the Spirit should be the preservation of the lines of communication between our soul and the Spirit. Because with Him we succeed, alone we fail. He keeps us from falling. And isn't that exactly what it suggests there in verse 16? To be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. And so once again, let me say... That we need to be careful not to cut ourselves off from the source of power. Okay, so we know that we need to be with the Holy Spirit, one with the Holy Spirit. I think we've already firmly established that. But how how can we cut ourselves off from these wonderful uh, resources that God has made available to us? Well, unbelief. If you take your notes, write this down: unbelief, unconfessed sin, careless living and worldliness, all of those things that I've just mentioned will rob you from God's best. It'll rip you off. Now let me give you the, the probably the, the greatest example of this would have been Samson. When Samson practiced consecration, and that's what his hair, the length of his hair, represented, he took the vow of a Nazarite, he was consecrated unto God. But then he started messing around. There was unbelief. There was unconfessed sin. There was careless living. There was worldliness. And it robbed Samson from experiencing God's best. Okay, trace this along with me. Because of his careless living and sin, he was captured by his enemies. Likewise, if you carelessly live and continue in sin, you'll be captured by your enemy, who is the devil as well. I want you to see the parallels between this. When Samson was captured by his enemies, the Philistines, they took him and they cut out his eyes and they blinded him, which, by the way, is always the fruit of sin. But listen, if you give yourself over to sin... Even as Samson did with Delilah, messing around, right? You too would be blinded from knowing the truth. And then, lastly, Samson was made like an animal grinding at the mill for the entertainment of the Philistines. And likewise, if you give yourself over to your base nature, you too would become like an animal. Remember, they harnessed him to a, to a grinding mill and he just walked around in circles, blinded like a burden of beast. And likewise, if you give yourself over to your base nature, you too will become like an animal. Really, it's the truth. You see the parallels between these? So, you know, unbelief, unconfessed sin, careless living, worldliness, these are the things that will rip you off. Now, one last thing. Why does God share His power with us? Let's go to the last verse of chapter 3. To Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. You see, the church upon the earth is here to glorify the Son of God. And if our motive is to glorify God by building His church, being His faithful representatives then God will share His power with us. No doubt about that. And also notice there in verse 21 that what we do in His power today will glorify Jesus throughout all the ages, world without end. Amen. You see, only what we do for God is eternal and will have eternal benefits and lasting fruit. Think about that. You know, all of the time that we spend amassing our fortunes or accumulating wealth, when you die, you can't take it with you. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have some, you know, we shouldn't put money aside in the bank, take care. I'm I'm not putting those things down. But the things that are really important, you know, we are to store up, rather, Jesus said, treasures in heaven, right? Those are the things that are really important. And so think about it. I'll use the example of, uh, you know, how, how will Jesus be glorified throughout all of the ages? And how will you experience a reward throughout all of eternity? By bringing one person to Christ. By God allowing, allowing yourself to be used as an instrument. Think about that. Through God works to bring a person to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Jesus gets the glory and you receive the reward for all of eternity. Now, put that alongside of amassing your fortune while you're here upon the earth. I mean, come on. you got to be kidding me, right? And I'm not saying that we're not, we need to work for a living. We need to have some money in the bank. We need to have that fall back upon you know, during those difficult times, right? But only what we do for Christ is eternal. Only what we do for God is eternal. Remember, he is able to do exceeding abundantly Above all, gang, get your hands on your spiritual wealth by opening your heart to the Holy Spirit and praying with Paul for number one, strength in the inner man, number two, for a new depth of love, number three, for spiritual apprehension, and four, for spiritual fullness. And as I mentioned before, it's just as simple as. James exhorts us in chapter 4 of his epistle in verse 2. You have not because you ask not. There you go. Right? Amen.
1: In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long.
0: As we study the book of Ephesians together, we pray it has encouraged you to restore relationships. Unity can be such a hard task to accomplish, but as the Apostle Paul wrote, unity binds us together in Jesus. If there's someone in your life that you need to reach out to today, know we are praying both for you and for them. You've been listening to In My Father's House, and we're so glad you tuned in to hear today's teaching with Pastor Mike. To listen to today's message again, or to hear more from Pastor Mike, just search for In My Father's House on your favorite podcast platform, and be sure to subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram to keep up to date on our day-to-day happenings. If you're looking for a place in Midtown Manhattan to come together with others and worship Jesus, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll be able to reserve your seat and get directions to our easy access point at HarvestNYC.org. We're also streaming each Sunday and Thursday evening, so everyone has the chance to attend, even if you can't make it in person. If this broadcast has been an encouragement to you, would you consider supporting us? We'd love your prayerful support. And if you feel led, we're also thankful for any financial support. In fact, you can donate securely on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that was harvestnyc.org. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening in today. Join us again next time for more, right here on In My Father's House. Where I love to
1: be oh my heart, not be troubled.